But this morning, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, we began that last week and looked at the, the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And we're going to continue that this morning, uh, just simply by reading the first couple of verses of our text. So verse 13, we'll start and then we'll go through. So it says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, and that is John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, and take time to, to glean its truth, to see its, its goodness and see your goodness in us. We ask for your blessing this morning. Uh, heart of encouragement and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first ministry has begun. Paul and Barnabas have taken with them John, Mark, and uh, they are traveling. They uh, left from Antioch in Syria. Uh, now, it, it, just so you're not confused, they left from Antioch, and today we find them in Antioch, but they're different Antiochs. In fact, at the time, there were a whole bunch of Antiochs, and they were all named uh, from the, the uh, Caesar over his, uh, his, either his father or his son, who were both named uh, Antiochus. So there's a whole bunch of cities around the world at this time called Antioch. So they left from Antioch in Syria. They've gone through Cyprus, headed up into Galatia, towards Asia Minor, just over there. And then uh, they're now in Antioch in Pisidia, which faces that direction. So different town, different area. But they've set out, but they've begun in what I think is a wise way. So they've, they've set out from their their town there in Antioch they've gone not too far out of their comfort zone so their first step was to go to Cyprus a place where Barnabas was from so it's familiar territory they find themselves in the synagogues to begin with which again is familiar territory a place where they are are welcomed in to begin with and uh, then they they move on from there as the doors open for them they quickly though find out you know, they, they've come to the first, first place, their first stop there in, in Cyprus, and they quickly find out that missionary work or in, in general is hard work and takes toll. Uh, and that comes very quickly. You know, their first stop in Cyprus, they come to opposition, very violent opposition in terms of actually opposing what they're doing and trying to stop people from believing in Jesus Christ. So there is, there is that, and there's more to come. We'll see opposition here in this Antioch and then as it goes on. But it's not just that, that outward opposition which makes it difficult. As we read here in the beginning in verse 13, as they're traveling, they leave Cyprus, land on the mainland again there, and the young man... John, John Mark, who is uh, related to Barnabas, uh, leaves and goes back home. So not only in their, their work for God is it hard in terms of the opposition that comes from outside, but there's also personal heartache that comes. 
We're not told uh, anywhere, actually, why John Mark leaves the group. Uh, just says here, he left, went back home. We find he's, he's back home later. In Acts chapter 15, though, when they set off on this missionary journey, we find that whatever the circumstances were, however he decided that it was time for him to leave this journey, whatever those circumstances were, the event caused deep personal wounds. In fact, it brought a great rift between Paul and Barnabas uh, and even, even John. So there was, there was deep personal wounds that came as a result of what took place here. Fortunately, and by God's good grace, restoration to these relationships would come later in their life as things went through. But that doesn't change the fact that as they began to serve Christ, it was hard in a lot of ways, both from outside and from within. You're giving your life to serve God and to bring good news is it's filled with abundant joy. You know, I've said before, there's nothing like serving Christ. And we, we know that. We know the joy of leading someone to Christ or sharing the gospel or seeing them grow in Christ. We know that joy, but that life is not just abundant joy. It's also not devoid of pain. There is pain in serving Christ. So the journey continues here. And they continue on pushing through and we begin to see a pattern form, a pattern which Paul will continue through all of his journeys. That is, first he comes to the Jews. So in every city, he'll come in there and he'll, he'll make his way. And his first stop is usually to the synagogue. And he'll present the gospel in the synagogue. And usually it doesn't take very long for the Jews to get annoyed with him enough that they kick him out of the synagogue. And the Gentiles then become the main focus. And that becomes his pattern throughout. Every city he goes into, synagogue first, he'll see a mix of Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue, and then to the rest of the city, to the Gentiles there, uh, as the doors open. We haven't read there quite yet. At the heart of the text we're going to look through, we're going to go right through the end of chapter 14. Part of it is verse 32. It says, and we declare to you glad tidings or the good news that promise which was made to the fathers. Paul makes it clear here as he comes, and we'll read through the, the story in just a moment, but he makes it clear that he wants them to know the good news, to declare the good news of Jesus Christ and the good news of God's long-suffering goodness. Romans chapter 2, Paul uh, says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The gospel is the revelation of God's goodness to us. God is good. And as Paul takes us through this sermon and we see what goes on, he says to us, listen today the goodness of God. And that's through declaring the good news by seeing the goodness of God at work. Let's continue the story. So they're, they're in synagogue here. They've been invited to, to speak. And in verse 16, it says, Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, 
For a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he, uh, he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rules, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him, condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the Lord Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to, to declare it to you. That's Peter's sermon, or Paul's, I should say, Paul's sermon this day in the synagogue, a sermon to a mixed group. And he starts and he, he tells us here, as we look here at the goodness of God, that the goodness of God prepared salvation. God planned for salvation. It was his plan. And he prepared for this to take place. He begins by telling us that God chose Israel. Verse 17, he starts talking about Israel, the God of this people, Israel, our fathers, and exalted people. It's not unusual, as uh, we see here, for strangers to be invited to speak in the synagogue. 
the, the elders of synagogues would, would often invite others or visiting people around and elders to, to speak as they pass through and, and encourage the people or share what they, they knew. Perhaps it was because uh, Paul had been known or could be seen as a, a Pharisee because of his invitations opened up. So here's a man, he's a, was a, a Pharisee, is a Pharisee. So they invited him to, to speak. But his sermon is interesting. It strikes me as, as interesting here because he addresses, and all the way through he does the same thing until the very end when he groups them all together, but he addresses the two groups that are there, the Jews and the Gentiles, the, the God-fearers, the ones who are like Cornelius, who were kind of hanging around the edges of Judaism because they, they liked God, they, they believed in God, but um, were still kind of hanging around the edge. They couldn't be fully part of the worship or the people. And so he addresses both of them, you Jews and you, you God-fearers, you, you Gentiles. And he addresses both of these groups. The sermon is really quite similar to Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. Perhaps that sermon had a deep impact on Paul through the years. You know, when I prepare a, a sermon, as any pastor does, you look in and you, you wrestle with the text and you try and figure out what does the text mean? What is the main point? What is he trying to tell us here? What's the truth that needs to be understood? Once, once we figure out that and we can say, okay, we understand what the meaning is, what was meant by this text, it then falls on us to think now, how do I take that truth and how do I apply it to the people that are going to be there? So not to some imaginary people that might see it through the internet later on or whatever, but how does this text apply to those who are likely to be in that room as best as we we know and as best as we are able to be? And with that kind of in mind, it, it seems odd at first that to this mixed crowd, to this crowd of Jews and Gentiles, Paul begins with such strength and such um, fullness to speak about Israel. As you would, you would think as, as you're standing there and you've got this mixed group and you want to share the gospel with them, you think, well, I've got a group of Jews here and I've got Gentiles here. If I just start talking about Israel, the Gentiles are going to switch off. And they're not going to hear what we find out is actually the opposite happens. But it seems odd. Why, why is he going to spend so much time in, the, in a mixed crowd talking about Jewish history and what it was like to be a Jew and what God did with the Jews? And then you realize as you look through that Paul was using the story of the Jews the way God intended the Jews to be used. That was to display the goodness and glory of God. God had chosen the the Jews. He'd chosen Israel to display the glory of God and his goodness. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to do here in this sermon. See, because the story of Israel isn't just about Israel. The story of Israel is about redemption. It's about God's salvation. God chose Israel. In fact, he calls Abraham out of idolatry and calls him to be his own. Abraham obeys and he passes on that promise to Abraham's son, Isaac, and to Jacob, who becomes Israel, and then on to his 12 children and so on. And it becomes down the line. And he chose them and he continued this this faithfulness to them, not because they were worthy, 
He didn't choose Abraham because he was the most righteous in all the world. He was a, a worshiper of the moon when God first found him. So it wasn't because they were worthy, but it was because God is gracious. And he was gracious to Abraham and to Abraham's son, Isaac, and to Isaac's son, Jacob, and to his sons and beyond. He tells us here that God chose Israel and then he built them. And he exalted them among the nations, gave them a place. So having chosen them, he delivered them. When they found their way into captivity in Egypt, he delivered them out of that. He rescued them from their oppression. He protected them and he cared for them and he carried them. And then there is verse 18. Verse 18 is, for me, one of those verses that hits so very hard because it has so much to do with Israel, but it's very pointed in terms of all of us. It says, now for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And you love the way he says that. You know, it, it wasn't that, that God you know, uh, was forgiving for them in the wilderness or that God led them through the wilderness. It says for 40 years, God put up with them. And we know what took place during that time in the wilderness as, as they traveled through. God showed his goodness. His goodness was on display there. See, what verse 18 tells us is that God was not just good to them when they were good. God was good to them when they were not. His goodness wasn't reserved only for when they earned his goodness. God was faithful even when they were not faithful. They whined in the wilderness. And they, they complained uh, about food and they doubted God's promise. They got right to the border of the promised land, had a chance to go in and take it and said, no, we don't believe God. And then they spent more time in the wilderness. It was a, a disaster at that time. Still, in all of that, in all of that whining and all of that complaining and in all of that doubt, God protected them. God cared for them. God provided for them. It doesn't mean that he excused their sin or that he ignored their sin. No, we know he chastised them and he reproved them and he corrected them. That's a significant part of why they were in the desert, in the wilderness there for so long. Then uh, Paul takes us as they wandered in the wilderness and God put up with them in the wilderness. And then when they came into the land and God gave them the land that he promised them, even though they didn't deserve it, he gave them the land and put them in it by allotment. So then he gave them judges. Judges judges were being and kept deliverance. And every time God would deliver and then God would deliver again and God would deliver again for about 450 years. This cycle continues. But God kept showing his goodness. As the time of the judges pass, we come into the time of the priests and the prophets with Samuel. And the priests and the, the prophets, they, they taught God's people and they warned God's people and they guided God's people through difficult and dangerous times. In God's goodness, he is long-suffering, patient. God's dealings with Israel are God's dealings with all of us. He is patient. He is long-suffering. 
he is good. As God had planned for salvation, through all the years, God pointed to salvation. Paul reminds us that God chose Israel. He took them through the wilderness as he, after he had delivered them from, from, uh, from Egypt and their, their torment there. And he brought them into the land and he'd given them judges to, to rescue them and deliver them and priests and prophets to, to warn them and guide them. one of the kings and chose Saul as king, King Saul. And that didn't work out because it was never going to work out. He was the wrong person. But God let them have their choice. He allowed them to choose that option. And when King Saul was no longer viable, God graciously raises up David. He brings into their life David. And to David, Paul tells us or reminds us that God made a promise. After that, verse 20 says, he gave them judges for around 400 years. Verse 21, after that, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David, asking to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, my son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior. Jesus. Now, all along, God had been preparing and pointing to salvation. But then he raises up David, and in David, that promise of the Savior becomes clearer. It becomes more evident. Now we have something more more fixed to look at. He says, now from David, from King David, will come King Jesus. King Jesus is why God is patient. King Jesus is why God is good to them. King Jesus is why God chose Israel in the beginning. It's why he put up with them in the wilderness and through the judges and through the constant trials during the kings. King Jesus is the one who will make it all right, who will account for our failings and for our sins. David received a promise, which pointed to salvation. But then Paul skips a very large portion of history. He jumps from David and he leaves out all of the trials and the troubles of the kings and the split nation and the, uh, their, their time in, in exile. And he brings us right up to the time of John the Baptist. While David received a promise, he says, John preached repentance. So finally, after many years of trial and still God's faithfulness over and over again through all these years, following all the years of God's faithfulness in their failures, he reveals that God is still faithful and two boys are born. Six months apart. The older of the two is John. John is the one who points us to Jesus again. So he says, David, David had a promise. God used David to point us to a savior to come. Now let's skip all these years. And now we have another man born, this John, 
points us to Jesus. But this time, the promise is not all the way back here. We're not pointing way out in the future. But now John is right here saying, it's not me, it's him. He's here. The promise is here. God's goodness is fulfilled. And he calls us to repent from our ways to follow Jesus. The goodness of God prepared salvation. And as uh, Paul continues in his sermon here, we find also that the goodness of God provided salvation. Verse 26 shifts because now we've, we've spent all of that time talking about the Old Testament. We've talked about Israel and we've seen how God has been leading all the way up to this point of Jesus. And now we look at Jesus in verse 26. He says, men and brethren. So now again, he's, he's drawing our attention. This is the heart of his sermon. This is where he has been leading up to all of that before has been leading us to the, this is the heart of his sermon. He says, again, listen to me, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to you, the word of this salvation has been sent this, to you Jews. This is the message sent to you, to you Gentiles. This is the message sent to you for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God accomplished his plan. God raised up a savior. The one that he promised to David, the one that had been promised before, the one that John was pointing to was here. God raised up a savior. He tells them all of Israel's story is for all of us. What God was doing in them is teaching us what God does for all of us. Tragically, we see, as Paul reminds us, Israel rejected the promise they've been waiting for. All of that time, they've been waiting for the Savior. And when it came, they rejected him. But God had planned for this, verse 29 tells us. His rejection and his death savior of all not just of the jews but of all just like god had done all along for israel god was still doing rescuing god kept his promise he kept his promise verse 17 to 22 where paul recounts the history of israel god chose israel rescued him from uh, egypt and and so on that represents what um, might be known as a, a Jewish confession. So it was a fairly normal thing that would be rehearsed. If they wanted a short, short, simple way to say, uh, who are the Jews or what's the history of the Jews? It would be something like that. God chose Israel, protected him, uh, uh, brought us through the wilderness, uh, brought us to, to David, gave us a promise through David and the Messiah would come through David. So that was a pretty sort of confessional way that Israel would speak of their history. 
Now, verse 28 through verse 31, those verses which we just read, they represent a Christian confessional. What happened to Jesus? Jesus was taken by the Jews uh, who rejected him, put up on a cross, crucified, taken down, put in a tomb, was raised, and then was seen by a bunch of people afterwards. Sounds very similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 5. That sort of simple thing had become a confession about what Christianity was. What Paul does here is he connects these two confessionals. This confessional of Israel's history and this confessional of Christianity is he's pointing out that these second verses, verse 28 to 31, are the fulfillment of the first confessional. So what God has done in Jesus is what they were expecting in Israel. He's connecting the two together that God kept his promise. Not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. David served God in his generation and died, it says. But Jesus rose again and provided salvation. He is the Holy One, verse 35 tells us who provides the fullness of his holy blessings. Verse 34, God promises salvation. Verse 38 continues, having laid out these confessionals and having put here the goodness of God as seen through, he lays it out here and he says in verse 38, therefore, let it be known to you. That is, what, what does all this mean? Why have I spent time telling you about Israel? Why have I spent time telling you about Jesus' death and resurrection? Here's why. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. God promises salvation to everyone who believes to everyone who believes i like how in verse 38 he narrows it down now so up until this point in his sermon every time he has addressed them he said uh, men of israel and you uh, gentiles or you god fears and he's spoken to the two groups but when we get here to verse 38 and he's bringing it into an application it's no longer you here and you here it's brethren all of you Listen, it doesn't matter where you're from, Jew, Gentile, God-fear or not God-fear, it doesn't matter. Listen, you all need to hear this. God is the savior of all of you, no matter which side of the room you're sitting on, no matter where you are from. Whoever believes, Jew or Gentile, will have sin forgiven. By faith in Jesus, we are justified, declared righteous. He says that the filthiness of our sin is washed as white as snow, that the penalty for our many, many sins is wiped away. God promises forgiveness to everyone who believes. But then he makes another point. Verse 40. Beware. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you behold you despisers marvel and perish for i work a work in your days a work will by no means uh, you will by no means believe though one would declare it declare it to you 
there is a, a warning of the consequences of rejecting. To reject Jesus is to reject any way of salvation and to find yourself in condemnation. Don't be blind. Don't be hard-hearted. Listen to the words he shares of the goodness of God. And that brings us to the last the response here this morning. So the goodness of God prepared salvation. The goodness of God provided salvation. And finally, the goodness of God produces salvation. We see how they to this sermon that preaches. So the Jews went in the synagogue. The Gentiles begged these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, aided them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Some rejoice in God's goodness. The goodness of God is presented and shared. Some rejoice. The Gentiles here in Antioch rejoice. At first, they all receive the message gladly. They all, Jews and Gentiles, say, look, tell, tell us more. They all want to talk to him after the service and they, they follow him through the city and they're talking with him and encouraging him and say, all right, next Sabbath, be back here. We want to hear more. And throughout that week, of course, the, the news is traveling through the city and, and a great crowd ends up being there the next Sabbath. The, the whole synagogue is full of people. Almost the whole city is there. It's described as being. It's full. Many believe. See, the story of Israel is relevant to the Gentiles because the story of Israel is relevant to all of us. It's the story of God's redemption. It's the story of God's goodness, the story of God's favor. All those that are his will be found. They will be kept. They will know life. And as these Gentiles, as we see here, they, they believe and they are glad. And it tells us at the end that these, these, uh, these believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy. And as a result, not only does the, the gospel grow here in Antioch, but it says it spreads through the whole region. They start taking it out with them and, and they start sharing the gospel that they heard from, from Paul and Barnabas in the cities and the towns and the villages in their area. 
some rejoiced in God's goodness, but at the same time, we see with the Jews that some reject God's goodness. Sadly, that's been the pattern of Israel. But they reject God in pride. What is it that really stirs their, their issue here? So just like the Gentiles, the Jews are there next Sabbath. And they want to hear. They've been waiting for this all week. And they're there. And their synagogue is full of strangers. All these people who never turn up. All these people from the city who are Gentiles. It's, it's full. One commentator, Pastor F.F. F. Bruce, jokingly comments. He says, it was probably like our churches today where when people come in and they take our seats. Somebody new is sitting in my seat. And that seems to be, although jokingly, part of the issue here. Their synagogue is being overrun by other people. And it's because Paul is there preaching something that they haven't been. So pride gets in the way. This isn't our message. This isn't our synagogue. We're being overrun by strangers. And they're not happy with it. And pride comes in. So what brought joy before becomes something else entirely pride moves in and hardens the hearts the jews were at the center of the story of redemption and they've rejected the promise god used them to carry and so they oppose god's people luke says in verse 45 that they contradict and they blaspheme See, because as far as Luke is concerned, to speak against Jesus, to speak against God is to, to blaspheme. Now, the Jews aren't going to see it that way. They don't see it as, as blasphemy. But Luke writes it that way because that's exactly what happened. To oppose Jesus is to blaspheme. Pride put us in a very dangerous place. Not just a place of disliking Jesus but of opposing God. And that's where these Jews had ended up. Our message is a message of God's goodness. We declare the gospel. Gospel means good news. It is the message. It is the news of the goodness of God. What is the good news? Verse 32, and we declare to you the good news that promise which was made to the fathers. What is the good news? God promised Jesus, and he has faithfully kept that promise. God rescues from our condemnation. He keeps the promise to save us from our sins, having provided a savior. And in his goodness, he is patient, and he is kind, and he is caring. So that everyone that is called will be found. So our job, like Paul's, declare the good news. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find in it. In both the difficult places and the hard places. We thank you that in it we don't find a disjointed message or a a disjointed plan, but that from beginning to end, you have been working to the same end, the same purpose. 
keeping your promise to save us from sin. We thank you, dear God, that we have received that great gift. And we pray, dear God, that you would use us greatly to reach others with that great gift. The spirit and your word would be able to break through the pride and open eyes to see the truth of the gospel. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.